0: Welcome to Foothills Church. Sermon of the week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Doug Peak. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit foothills.org. Welcome. I'm Douglas Peak, and I want to personally invite you to be a part of the Foothills family. Whether you're here on campus and it's your first time or you're kind of returning and checking things out, if you're watching online or doing church at home. We are in a series called Get Up and Go and it's just about real life faith. And our goal is to help people do practical specific steps because after a year and a half of shutdowns and lockdowns and quarantines and mask up, double mask, triple mask, this and everything else going on, we have a tendency to like, wow, how are we going to get through this? At some point we have to just get up and start going again. So we're hoping to get us moving forward spiritually. Today we're going to talk about how to be prepared. And be prepared for what? Well, that's the last days. I've been asked over and over and over again as a pastor, are we in the last days? Now you may not be familiar with what that is, but the last days refers to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Christ. And there is an entire uh, field of study wrapped around it called eschatology. So if you're ever at a party and you want to throw stuff around and say, well, eschatology, kind of let that roll off your tongue. People go, What's that about? Well, it's study of the end times. So there's a lot of stuff around this concept called eschatology. And it revolves around Whether or not Jesus Christ is coming back, and if so, when and how. Now, you may not realize this, but it's been a big deal, particularly in American culture, for over 200 years. A lot of early different subgroups or denominational groups, for instance, uh, the Quakers and the Shakers and a bunch of other groups, were formed specifically around the fact that Jesus Christ was coming back imminently. They thought he was coming back in 1780. And when I was a young man, and I just started in the ministry back in 19- <clears throat> and, uh but it was in 87, uh, there was a really big thing. This was before the internet, before news and stuff, but there was a booklet that had sold millions and millions of copies. And it said, 88 reasons why Jesus will return in September 8th, 1988. So that was really kind of going out across churches in America. and So there's always been this interest. There's big fields of study. Uh, There's entire departments of some seminaries that are dedicated to it. The difficulty, though, is like some of these denominations and stuff, when they formed around it, is that they used a lot of fear. So some people grew up being told, you know, man, he's coming back and you better be ready and you're in trouble. And so people grew up and they were just in shock and they were like, my goodness. uh, he hasn't come back yet. Is it ever going to happen? And so a lot of those people left those things, and so we're going to talk about it today, getting up and going to move our faith forward because clarity on the subject is important. If we're too obsessed with it, we breed fear, and if we're too ambivalent towards it, we become weak. So let's dig into this. All the notes today's message are on the. F- Uh, message notes section of our phone app if you would like them. Uh, You can also request them uh, through our website at info. Uh, Just send an email there and we'll try to get those out to you because I'm going to move fast today. And if I go too quickly, I also added a whole bunch of other verses. And the reason why I had to do that is because in the Bible, this theme is really big. There are over 100 verses in the New Testament about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, there's no way in one day we could go through all of them. And so what I did is I organized them into four categories. These are four promises. And the promises are number one, his promise to return. Number two, his promise it will be unexpected. Number three, his promise of difficult times. And number four, his promise to those who are prepared. So, what I'd like to do is kind of just jump into these right away and go through them as quickly as possible and do some application throughout. process. So let's go to number one. The first biggest chunk of verses is that Jesus promises that he will return. What we're going to do is we're going to spend most of our time in Matthew chapter 24, which is Jesus talking about his return and what will happen when that Goes on. And then chapter 25 of the Gospel of Matthew is all about how to be prepared for it. So if you want to just a primer, you want to kind of read about it and dig into it, read Matthew 24 and 25 over and over again, and it will help you. But let's read 24, verses 30 and 31, okay, and see about the first promise or the first category of verses. Verse 30, chapter 24, Gospel according to Matthew. Then, Jesus speaking, then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. Now, in John chapter 14, Jesus talks about the same theme, but he does it a little bit differently. Listen to the tone of this passage. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 14, the Gospel according to John. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you? that I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. And you know the way to the place where I am going. Now, there's Hebrews chapter 9 at the very end of the chapter, he says the following, verse 28, chapter 9, the book of Hebrews. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. He will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So I just read three. There's probably a a good number 10 or 15 other passages that talk about Jesus Christ will return a second time. Now there's great power in this promise. The power in this promise is, first of all, Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you. If Jesus is coming back, he's saying, I have not forgotten I am not going to leave. I will not forget. Number two, because He's coming back, He's actively involved in your life. The Bible says that He is to will and to work according to His good pleasure. So you know that He is continually working in your life. We are, Paul tells the Philippians, to kind of work out our salvation. Let's do it fearfully and with great respect, taking it seriously. well, Why do we want to know what we believe? Why do we want to know what we think? Why? Because Jesus is actively involved. Now, how much and how that works, that's a whole other series of messages. I just want to say, overall, the power of the promise is that He's coming back. Now, what's most, I think, influential about this promise is this, is that ultimately we will all be held accountable. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and be recompensed, that's a big word, means we must give an account for the deeds that we have done to the body, whether they're good or whether they're bad. So there's an accounting. Now, some people are like, really? That sounds kind of strange, and why is that such a big deal? And I thought, Jesus is all about love, and I go, Well, those things are true. But the New Testament also talks about the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross to take our sins away because it was an act of love and justice. Now, I don't know about you, but when anybody does me wrong, we've had people steal stuff from us over the years. People vandalize stuff. I've had people do things uh, that were evil and wrong, and whenever that happens, you know what I want? I want justice. That's right. I want accountability. When people do stuff, you know, out there that's wrong, I want accountability. But I've noticed something about myself. When I'm the one doing wrong, I want mercy. I don't know about you, but I'm like, I really like some mercy here because I really didn't mean it, or I was thinking stupidly, or I really, really want mercy. But here's the interesting thing of why Christ returning is so important to justice, okay? It's because justice demands an accounting, and if there's no accounting, then ultimately, I know this is abstract, but I really want you to think about this. If there is no accounting, there's no justice, and if there's no justice, there can never be mercy, See, there can't be mercy if there's no justice. There can't be redemption or reconciliation or healing or wholeness if there is no justice, because if there's no justice, there's no standard. So the power of His promise to return is actually a great gift to you and to me, because what it does is it ensures that there will always be an objective standard of justice. Let's keep going forward. The second category of verses falls under the category that his promise to return will be completely unexpected. Let's read Matthew chapter 24, verses 36, and then we'll jump down to 42. 36 says this, Now about that day or hour, meaning the day or hour the Son of Man will return, No one knows. No one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. And then if you go down to verse 42, he says, Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. And then in Matthew chapter 25, if you just flip the page over there in verse 13, he says the same thing again. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day nor the hour. Then if you go back to the Apostle Peter's letters, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, he says the following. 2 Peter, let me get there, chapter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. No one ever knows when the thief is coming. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. So, according to these statements, we know that Jesus is returning, but do any of us know when? No, we don't. We don't know the day. We don't know the hour. Now in the next verse, Category, we're going to talk about how we have to have situational awareness and we need to be aware of the winds of the age, so to speak. But right here and right now, he's saying, No one knows, no one knows. And I want to talk about that in particular because I want to talk about what I call the anticipation principle. Now, whenever my wife and I plan a trip, we approach it differently. We start the same. Hey, would you like to go on this trip? Yes. When can we go? We're going to go November 1st, and we're going to spend 10 days at this really awesome place, right? Then what happens is three months before we go, I think my wife gets out her suitcase, and she puts in it everything we're going to need for that trip, right? And then she closes it and goes, I can forget about it because I know I'm ready. Me, on the other hand, if we're leaving November 1st, can you guess when I pack for that trip? 45 minutes before we're heading out the door. And I, all I do is I count my socks and my underwear. Everything else, we'll figure it out on the way, right? I got what I need. So it's like, but the thing is, is the reason I do that is because I don't want to have to what? Think about it until I'm ready to go. I got too many other things in my head, right? And I know, too, probably because I've been married uh, to my wife for, you know, 32 years, is that she'll probably remember the 10 things I always forget to take and she'll pack them in her suitcase three months before we go. Right. So the thing about it is it doesn't matter if you plan and pack way ahead or at the last minute. Guess what both of those have in common? We do it so we can forget about it. We do it that way so it's not, We don't worry about it until it's time to go. Do you know that in the fourth and fifth century in Rome, a lot of followers of Christ did this? You know what they would do is they were very open to Christianity. They wanted to be Christians. They'd be benefactors. The affluent Romans would uh, give. They'd build churches. They'd do all this kind of stuff. But what they would do is they would try to time their baptism to right before they died. So they would wait until they were on their deathbed and they were like, I think this is it. I'm going to die. The doctor come. Yeah, I think you're done. And they go, "Okay, it's time for me to get baptized. So they would wait until the very, very end to get baptized. Why would they do it that way? They did it so that they could live... The way they wanted to live and do what they wanted and then at the last minute go, my fares are in order, my ticket's punched, I'm going to eternity. But that didn't last for very long and you know why? Because they separated their daily life from eternal life. And in doing so, they erased themselves from all of the spiritual blessings that God pours out to those who are called according to his purpose and are inheritors of the promise. So what they were doing is they were saying, well, I'm going to live this way and then wait to the last minute. And they separated daily life from eternal life. And it didn't work. You see, on the surface, not knowing the date is a bummer, especially for those who like to pack at a certain time. Doesn't matter early or late. It's a bummer because you can't really, you know, wait or pre-plan. You can't. You have to live in a perpetual state of what? Being ready to go. You have to have a go bag. Guys, do you have a go bag when the zombie apocalypse hits, right? Where's your go bag? Got to have a go bag. A few power power bars, lots of ammo, and some seedlings to plant for the next season, right? Got to have a go bag. But the the problem is is that we don't want to live perpetually ready to go. We want to have to not to think and worry about it. So people who don't like challenges, people who don't want to have to live with a go bag, people who don't like investing in themselves, people who don't like trying to live out their faith and see it transform them, people who are not concerned about redeeming their relationships or their marriage or their kids, people who are not worried about raising their kids properly to set their kids onto a great trajectory for a great life path, people who are not... um, uh, wanting to walk in the fullness of the leadership and the guidance of God and making decisions, people who are not really that concerned with building uh, businesses and companies that honor God and bring fruitfulness to other people, they, they're like not knowing is a real downer because they would rather plan to live their life their own way and be ready to go when he comes as opposed to living every single moment ready to go. You see, people want to get the most out of life. People who want to uh, investigate their own limitations. They want to pursue adventures they never imagined, experience things that they only dreamed of. They, they, they want to know not the exact time when Christ is coming because they want to live a life filled with challenge and anticipation. They're out there living life. They have priorities set. They have goals that they want to achieve. They are motivated in that direction. They have no idea when Jesus Christ is going to come, but this one thing they know. They're going to wring every drop of life out of every minute of every day before he comes. They want to walk with him, live with him in the here and now as well as eternity. It's amazing how motivated you get when you don't know the time, but you are anticipating it coming at any moment. They they do not want to know the time. They don't want to know the exact time. You know why? Because they don't want to face the temptation of slacking off or embracing the status quo. Each day, they get up motivated to grow, motivated to heal what needs to be healed, motivated to redeem what needs to be redeemed. They want to go to new places with God, live new adventures of faith with Jesus, because they are living as if he's going to show up in the next five minutes. They don't want to leave things broken or undone. They want wholeness and fullness, because they live as if he could show up in the next five minutes. So every relationship, every moment is infused with meaning and purpose, because they say to themselves, "This could be the day." Isn't that, isn't that amazing to that, that simple promise? You won't know the time. Totally gets you to live life in a different way. Now the third promise is this, and that is the promise of difficult times. So let's read some of these things here. I know I'm moving through this quickly, but I want to get through them all. Let's start off in Matthew chapter 24. Let's go back to verses 9 through 13. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. Thank you for that promise. Boy, that's really rosy, isn't it? Let's eat your Wheaties and read that for the morning. Um, You will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith. They will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Now let's flip over to Second Timothy. And this was, I, I just read what Jesus said before he was crucified. And now 50 years later, 40, 50 years later, Paul the Apostle writes a letter to Timothy. This is one of the last letters he wrote uh, before he... Uh, was martyred for Christ. And this is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. He says, But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful and unholy, without love, Unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Wow, is that some list or what? Sounds to me like they're describing a soap opera on daytime TV. Um, Having a form of godliness, but denying its power have nothing to do with such people. So Jesus says in Matthew 24, things are going to be tough for you. And then Paul tells Timothy, there's going to be a lot of proud, abusive, disobedient, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving and slanderous people in the last days. Now, why is it important to know this and to be able to recognize this? Because it kind of keeps you frosty. A number of years ago, uh, my family is after kind of a a tough winter. We decided, hey, for this spring break, we'd like to go somewhere warm. My kids were kind of still in school at that time. And so we went down to a town on the outskirts of Vegas so that we could, uh, we drove down there and what we're going to do is we're going to hike. Uh, for the whole spring break. So we found this really nice place. We stayed in it. We went hiking every day. But one night we just thought, you know, we've never really been to Vegas. We don't know what the strip is like. And we were kind of up on a mountain because you could see the lights from it, you know, from 10 miles away, 15 miles away, wherever you're at. And so we bought tickets to um, a magic show and went down there to watch it. It was a great magic show. It was a lot of fun. The guy was on America's Got Talent and he did all these things that were a lot of fun. And then afterwards we get out and we go, well, we've never been down here before, and we don't. let's walk up and down the Strip and see what it's like. And it's just, you know, mobs and mobs of people. And so we were walking around. We'd go by the Bellagio to see the fountains, you know, and that's kind of cool, the lights. And I said, that's kind of cool, and I said, but, you know, I need ice cream. No good evening is perfect until there's ice cream, right? So I'm looking for an ice cream st- store, and so we're going by it, and Zach is my oldest son, you know, um, And Jake, he was kind of uh, smaller then. And we find this place, and my daughter, Mackenzie, we go up, we find this place, we go, Oh, ice cream store, let's go in. And there's these uh, storefront windows right there, you know, all glass. And so we go in there, and I am looking at the ice cream, and uh, Zach and I, and Jake, and Mackenzie's kind of on the fence. She doesn't, back then, she didn't know if she wanted any, and so she was like, I don't know. So we order, and then I'm waiting. And I turn around and I realize, you know what, we're all in here and my wife is outside because she didn't want any ice cream that night. And I'm thinking to myself, is that a good idea? And just then there was a man, drunker than a skunk, and he decides that he is going to uh, take his chance to hit on the best looking woman on the strip that night. And that happened to be my wife. And he stumbles up to her. And before he gets within her impact zone, I look at Zach and I said, Zach, take care of your mom. The thing about Zach, great situational awareness. He doesn't think twice. He doesn't look around and go, what's going on? He knew exactly where he jumps up, goes out. He stands behind his mom like this. And that guy walks up and he says something to my wife. And then he looks at him and then he just stumbles off. In his drunken stupor, he still exercised some wisdom, you know? And I thought, you know what that is? That's called situational awareness. This is why a lot of guys who have training and background don't like big crowds when they're with their family. You know, you're out there, you're pushing the kid in the stroller, you know, and your wife is with you, and you have your other one that's toddling around, and you're thinking, i got a lot of variables that i got to keep track here, you know, and I'm looking out for all these threats, you know. We're at the fair. A lot of dangerous people at the fair. Lots of dangerous people at the fair. You know that guy selling that roasted corn on the cob? We have not run a background check on him yet. We don't know anything about him, right? So you're you're like, man, crowds, they can kind of stress out men who are like, have high situational awareness. vibes. It's like there's a guy on our men's leadership team. He's always talking about being gas station ready. When you're at the gas station, are you ready for whatever's going to come up and happen? The promise of difficult times gives you spiritual situational awareness. When you see what's going on, you don't have to be fearful. You know it's time to be ready. Be gas station ready for whatever's coming down the pike. And that leads us to the fourth promise that's out there, and that is this. There is a promise for all those who are prepared and are waiting. I don't have time to go into it, but if you go to Matthew chapter 25, Jesus says, this is how you prepare for my second coming. And he tells three stories. He tells the story of the unmarried girls. He tells the story of talents and he tells the story of the sheep and the goats. The first story is all about 10 virgins or unmarried girls. Now back then, there was no uh, dating apps. There was no eHarmony.com. There was no big concerts or these types of things that you could go to and meet people. So the primary way, if you were a young man or a young woman and you wanted to meet people that uh, were married, is you would be invited to a wedding feast. These things lasted seven days. They were long. And But the thing is, is that Once you got invited, you had to show up at a particular time and you had to wait. And then once the groomsmen who just got married showed up with his bride and they went in, you went in with them, then they'd shut the doors and then they would say, okay, we're going to party and get to know each other. It's all going to be a ton of fun. And they spent all this time together, right? Well, what happened is five of these unmarried gals said, you know what happens whenever you're waiting? You never know when these guys are going to show up is you run out of oil. That's bad so we're going to take extra oil. And then the other five said, well, we're not going to worry about it. We're not going to worry about it. So what happened is they ran out of oil and they go, oh my goodness, we need to get oil. So they went off to buy some. Guess what happened? The groomsmen showed up. Those five that brought oil went in. They shut the door. They put a bouncer out there. So when the five others came, you know what they told them? They said, sorry, the doors are shut. You can't go in. Jesus is telling the point is the way you prepare for his second coming, the way you live each and every day is you invest in the right things to be prepared. You see, they prepared their hair. They prepared their dress. But what they didn't prepare was oil. And what they needed more than anything else was the oil. Throughout the Bible, the oil represents, it's symbolic of the out. Pouring of God's presence in your life. Okay? So the first way to be prepared is to seek the pouring of God's Spirit into your life. What does that mean? That means I want to do upstream type of things. Now, we talked about upstream last week a little bit, and we talked about how a village in Honduras, if they drank, polluted water. It impacts their IQ, their nutrition, their productivity. It impacts all of these things. And so we would go down and we would find a spring. We would tap the spring, cover the spring, and then pipe it to the houses. And then those villages would start to flourish because they felt better. They were healthier. They were able to be more productive. They could work their crops more. They fed their kids more food so their kids had more nourishment. Their brains developed better, and they were more highly educated. And what happened to the entire living standard of these villages is it started to grow. You see, and it started to go, why? Because they changed the upstream pure water and that changed the downstream of where they live. The story of the 10 virgins for Jesus is this, always focus spiritually on their upstream first. Do you know Christ and know him well? Is your soul being redeemed by him? Are you growing spiritually in your walk with him? These are upstream things. But these upstream things always influence what? Your downstream. Then he tells the parable of the talents. A a man with a lot of wealth goes on a trip, and he takes what he has, and he gives one servant 10 bags of gold. It's a weight called a talent. Another one, five, and another one, one bag. And he says, I need you guys to manage my assets while I leave. He's gone 10, 15, maybe 20 years. He comes back, And he says, and they don't know when. And he says, I want you to give an account of what happened. The first guy says, well, you gave me 10. I made a lot of mistakes, but I kept trying. I figured it out, and I was able to double its 10 more. He goes, good job. The second guy says, I didn't have as much as him, but I made some mistakes, but I was able to double it. He goes, that's awesome. Good for you. The last guy says, I was afraid of making mistakes, so I buried it in the backyard. It's a little dusty, but here you go. What's yours is yours. And he says... You're such a wicked slave. At least you could have put it in the bank and I would have got interest off of it. And so Jesus is telling this parable to make the point very simple, is that the way you prepare for his second coming is you discover the talent that he has given you. You discover the ministry he's given to you. Your unique design for the purpose of using it for the kingdom of God. It's in using it that you are prepared For his coming. Not the mistakes you might make, the successes or the failures in using it, but the fact that you are using it. And then finally, he tells the story of the sheep and goats. And this is the story where he says, The Son of Man will sit in his glorious throne, and all the nations will come before him, and he's going to separate. He's going to make judgment. Sheep good, goats bad. And the people who are sheep say, Uh, well, why are we here? And Jesus says, when I was hungry, you what? Fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you healed or ministered to me. When I was in prison, you visited me. And the people over here said, well, when did we ever see you, Jesus? I mean, we didn't see you walking around to do this. And he said, whenever you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. And see, what he's saying is, even though the church is an upstream thing, we're focusing on the condition of our soul, we're focusing on knowing God, we're focusing on things like redemption, we also have a downstream presence. Our upstream is causing us to be this with God, but we live each day with a downstream presence. Presence, and that's one of the things that I love about our church, about Foothills, is that even though we focus a lot on the upstream, we are called and implementing a downstream presence. We have the large one of the largest. There's two of the largest food banks in the entire Treasure Valley. During COVID, over half of the food banks, the distribution centers shut down. Not ours. More people showed up, and we ramped up like never before. We have ministry to foster care parents to try to support them working with the foster care system to get kids placed. We have a special needs ministry for families who have kids who are uh, having special needs. We host nights for them each month where we come and give them a break, take care of their special needs children. We have a farm in Haiti. You may have just heard about the earthquake down there. It really devastated a lot of people. But guess what? The farm, the eggs kept laying eggs, the food kept growing, and the orphanage that we support down there as well kept feeding all of those orphans without a break. We have an orphanage in Ecuador called Casa de Fe for special need kids down there that many people in our church are involved in. They just finished their annual fundraiser to do ministry for the whole year because the government has no social services for people with special needs. Needs or orphanages. In India, we support a large ministry that not only church plants, but has one of the largest schools there teaching kids technological skills and working with computers. See, even though Foothills focuses a lot on our upstream, guess what? We have an overwhelming downstream presence. We have over a hundred, almost, not quite, not over, but just under a hundred small groups. Everything from grief care and divorce recovery to marriage, parenting, empty nest stuff. We've got groups where you can go out, guys, and go target shooting. We got security teams. We got men discipling men. We got pickleball going. We've got women discipling women. We have uh, digital discipleship tools that are, are online. We're doing all of these things so that we can have a downstream presence. Now why am I sharing this with you? Because if you are a part of Foothills Christian Church, you are preparing for the last day. You're being invited to be in community with other people, in discipleship, to be prepared for the last day. When you're doing ministry, when you're serving in ministry with children, students, outreach, food bank, missions, leading a small group, you are discovering your purpose. And when you discover your purpose, you're preparing for the last day. And finally, when you give to this church, what you're doing is you are preparing for the last day. Jesus is coming. The days will be difficult, but those who are prepared will receive the promise. How you live, how you prepare is your choice. And as a church, we want to help encourage you and inspire you to be ready because we don't know when it could be in the next five minutes or the next 500 years. But we want to live in a way that makes every moment more rich and deep than we could ever imagine. So come, let us be prepared together. Thank you for listening to this sermon of the week. Video footage of this sermon and others can be found on foothills.org.